Hi, I'm Regina Davis. And I'm Patrick Coleman. Welcome to Entrepreneurship Wisdom to Wealth. So thank you for joining us. We have uh, Charlena Morton, Dr. Charlena Morton, joining us from Birmingham, Alabama, and um, her 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 baby, her social entrepreneurship venture is the uh, Museum of Arts, of Urban Arts actually, in Birmingham, uh, Alabama. And she uh, is one of the first to actually do this. So um, welcome. I'm gonna try to make sure I'm a little bit more visible. Is that better? It is, thank you. See your beautiful face. So, um, so one of the, why don't you tell us your journey? Because I, I know that you, this museum has been around really, it was a, in your, you had a dream about it long before it actually came into fruition. So why don't you sort of tell us, give us some of that journey. Okay, so let me say good evening, everybody. First of all, I appreciate you having me here tonight. It is, you know, every time I'm told or asked to tell the story about the Museum of Urban Art and that walk, I am in a position to, I have to pull into my vulnerable place of, in life to share that story. Um, here's the thing, I'm one of, uh, I'm a only child, I'm born to a mother who basically raised me on her own. My dad was a little bit here and there. However, I'm very, very close to my family. And unfortunately in 99, I had a cousin that was killed in a horrific act of violence. And with that said, him being killed sparked something in me and, and another family member to do something that we could do or to attempt to do something that we could do to grab the attention of our young because he was about 24 years old at the time. And so when he was killed, the reaction from our family, and then I had really young kids at the time, was unreal. It was something that we definitely did not want to deal with going forward because we know, one, it would have sparked the, the flames of something really, really bad, like other people being hurt in this process. So what we tried to do at that point was to determine if there were any things that we could touch or any people that we could touch in our process of trying to offer an alternative to crime. And so in that effort, we, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the short version of it, the Museum of Urban Art was birthed, okay? And it started with as, as simple as something called a, unit, a walk for unity in the city of Birmingham. So we did that, we blocked the streets and we had family and friends. And the, ironically enough, we didn't require many other people because the family and the friends was, I mean, it was massive. It was a huge number, large numbers of people that took part in this particular um, activity. So what we found happening was the young starting to pull at us, you know, like, hey, 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 what's next? And I'm like, OK, so I think we may have hit something. We were just trying to do a one hit, as they call it, a one hit wonder something that we could do to basically get the attention of our young and keep it moving. We didn't think that it would be something that we would want to morph into something bigger. So moving forward, um, times went on and I had an opportunity as the director or executive director or 
founder of the Museum of Urban Art, I had an opportunity in the city of Birmingham to become part of their, I'll say, I received funds for this project. Well, I found the location for it and, and started working to raise funds to erect a project that would, one, house particular events and different programs that our youth could actually benefit from. Well, if you know anything about a nonprofit and, and especially one that's birthed by something more of an emotion, you'll know that they they're not very lucrative. There there is not a lot of money in in that um in those roles. So much of what I did had to come out of my pocket, my own pocket and I don't have any regrets for it, but what I will say is it came to a point where people started to see what I was doing and they started to put into what I was doing. So I was in the city of Birmingham's budget for two years. And I don't know if you all know anything about the tornadoes of our area. Um, one of that last year when we had some tremendous um, issues with our weather, we ended up the city was in just really strapped I and mean, they were in a situation where many nonprofits were just kind of cut out. And of course, who wants to give the art when we have real other real issues, as they would call them, um, that people sh should be feeding. So with that said, moving right along, I continued and within a seven, seven year period, I had done what's called uh, the Rhapsody in Red gala and the gala would be considered the the major fundraiser for this organization and during that time it would allow me an opportunity to give back to those who had done any significant work in different areas of art and when i speak art um in the museum of urban art we use the acronym fame film art music and entertainment Okay, so that means almost anything will fall under the umbrella of the Museum of Urban Art and who we would recognize for doing great works. Well, as we moved on, we understood that not only were we trying to get the attention of those young, well, we had to use a tool that we know would get their attention, and that tool happened to be art. So if you know anything about art and what it does and, and the fact that art could be basically everything. Any area that will allow youth or even the old to express themselves and, and use that as a platform, I think we will we'll grab hold to something and we'll see the advantages in it eventually. Well, after moving along and determining with the Museum of Urban Art being what it was and not ever, still to today, not ever having the opportunity to actually erect the building, but it still didn't take away from the fact that we were able to do the work of the Museum of Urban Art. So we touched a lot of lives, we touched many, many lives, and those were near and far. And as we moved right along, it came to it came to a place where the events to me just were not enough. 
So I had to do something when what I call work on me. Okay. So in 2013, I decided to advance myself in education. So I had, you know, I was one of those kids that went to high school at 12, graduated at 16, went straight to college and graduated at 20. And by before being 21, as they say, before being able to legally go into an uh, a liquor store, we'll call it that. Um, I was already working for the federal government. So I've, I've been afforded some great opportunities. And this is me, this one little um, only child from Birmingham, Alabama, a mom who was a single parent. And, you know, bless her soul, she, she passed away in um, 2019. Well, here's the thing. After we got past, or uh, after I realized that something else had to really happen with the Museum of Urban Art in order for it to be anything. I needed to be better because I was it pretty much. I decided to advance in education because education is what take, takes us there, of course. Well, in 2013, I enrolled in an online program to get my master's because I'd gotten my undergrad in 89 but decided to get my master's in organizational management simply because here I am. I have a nonprofit organization that is basically run by emotion and there's no real structure to it. And I think that's what we do as entrepreneurs. I think that we we grab something and we run with it first based off of a, a, a group or a set of emotions that says, hey, you should do it this way. And then for some reason, because obviously I was doing a, what they call a good thing, people started holding on to my coattail. So I'm like, okay, are these people holding on to my coattail because I'm doing something that great? Or are they holding on to my coattail and just wearing me down? So eventually I thought, and I, I came to the realization that I was really being held back by many of the people that were just holding on to my coattail. So I stopped listening to what I should do. And I, I was just led by a higher power to do what I needed to do. So I started putting that energy into myself. So I got my master's and coming out of that immediately, I decided, well, why not my PhD? Well, there were a couple of things that happened to lead me to actually acquiring that degree. However, it was probably, it was the most difficult, what I consider the most difficult thing to do during a very difficult time in my life because my mom was on her dying bed at the time when I actually got into the, the last leg of my um, PhD. So, and I don't want to keep bringing that up like that, but I have to tell my story because it is what it is. So in um, 2019, I wrapped up my degree and my mom passed in March and September 13th, which was her birthday, the first birthday that we had of hers after her death, I actually defended and well successfully defended my dissertation on her birthday. And two days later, I, I turned 51. So you know, as far as looking at where I've gone from the beginning to now, it's a very interesting ride, but I think that it took all 
every emotion in my body to make it happen. And I feel that if anyone knows anything about or want to know anything about entrepreneurship, taking something by its horns and just really making it work, it takes fight. It takes some struggle. But you do have to take every day for what it presents. And once you do that, I think you can recognize what it really takes to make a successful entrepreneur. Thank you. Dr. Dr. Morton, and I'm going to say that respectfully, Dr. Morton, if, if that's okay, <laughs> if that's okay with you. Hey, please do. Please do. I appreciate that. Okay. I mean, you, you deserve it and you earned it, you know, just like me. I earned mine. Um, after, you know, it, it based on what you just gave us, that's enough for a book. Everything that you've gone through is enough for a book. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm try trying to formulate the question in, in a manner that don't want to sound like um, the major cities are the only ones that have the high crime. And it seems as if everything that you've developed, you created, is a platform to not really eradicate crime, but to curb it just a bit where these young people can find a place to showcase their skill in the, the four pillars that you just call fame. Am I correct in saying that? You're correct. You're correct. Uh, Birmingham, if again, being from Chicago myself, Birmingham does not sound like a place where there's a lot of crime, but I know it is. Don't get me wrong. But I, I, I applaud you for your, for your endurance to keep pressing despite the struggles that you uh, have endured. Have you seen a curve or a cur yeah, a curve in the crime based on, again, your four pillars that you've created? Well, I can't say, here's the thing. I've, I've been a little bit away from it within the last few years just because of my walk, okay? And I will say I'm torn by the amount of crime in our area right now. It's unreal, okay? So when you, when you see what you feel like you've done, even if it's nothing but the few people that you may have touched, when you see what is really going on in today's world, it's almost like, did I really do anything? But then you have to step back and look and say, in that particular time, you did. So just think, if you had not have touched those you did touch, it would have it would be even worse now. So to answer to your question, I really feel like there's much more to be done but from a different angle now. I'm, I'm looking at it from an entirely different angle because, um, and, and I didn't get a chance to share with you before, but I didn't know, I never knew how getting my PhD would affect this entire program of mine or this life of mine, okay? So, but when I decided to do it, I was asked one question. Well, I asked the question, so why is it so important that I do this? 
you know, when I was introduced when I was introduced to the concept, and I agreed that I would move forward further, I asked the question, "What are the advantages?" So I was told, "Okay, well, getting a PhD, you're required to write a dissertation. Right. So in writing that dissertation, you become an author." I said, "Hmm, okay." And in that, people. There are individuals and organizations that pay you to speak on what now you are considered to be an expert on. Okay, okay. You're asked to be instructors or you're put in positions where you can instruct. And I'm just like, okay, so I'm listening to all this. But then I hear, okay, so I see that all of this could benefit me in a positive way, right? Right. Well, when I, the next question that I was asked, now those were, that was me asking questions. So now I'm asked, what would your dissertation be topic? What would you, how would you label your dissertation? So I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm already informed that it needs to be something that I'm passionate about. Because you have to write something that you're passionate about in order for people to want to read it, correct? Correct. Because that document that you write and that you um, basically slave over is a piece of you. And when I tell you that it becomes a piece of you, I'm not saying anything short of a piece of you. Okay. So if they tell me that I need to write something about something that I was passionate about, well, I know that I've been working in a nonprofit field for so long. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, surely it'll be something about that. Maybe the sustainability of their, of, 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 of nonprofits when they're birthed by emotion, blah, 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 blah. No, that didn't work. Because one, I couldn't find myself writing about or having enough to talk about. And then so I decided, hmm, what are you passionate about? Because these are questions that you have to ask yourself because if it's something that you're going to be taking the kind of time that you have to really put into a dissertation, you know it needs to be something that you want to eat, sleep, drink, and talk about all the time. Okay? So, when I decided what that what that really looked like to me, I decided to write on what had been my baby since 99. So I was able to, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to bring my museum project to the forefront through my dissertation. And so my my actual topic was the perceptions of youth about how cultural art programs stop them from committing crime. So 167 pages of that. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And so that, you know, I, I, I didn't know where all of this would take me, but when I was able to do that, it put me in a very different space in life. And it really made me feel like you don't know, you never know where life is going to take you. You can write the script yourself and think that you know exactly where you're going. 
And I would have thought many years ago, because of the energy that I had put into the Museum of Urban Art project, that it would be erected in Birmingham, Alabama, in the Civil Rights District, and it would do this, 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 and this. Well, I never knew, I never thought about doing a PhD. So when I look back now and I said, wow, I have a published document that's titled with Morton 2019 on it, with that topic being mine and me being able to express all of those things that I wanted to do through that museum project. And not just that, being able to express them, but someone would be able to read that and see one, there was one major issue that came out of it because it, when you de, when you defend a dissertation, you have your the chair of your committee as well as the other um, members of the committee. And they're, they're watching you defend this and they're gonna, you know, the goal is to get done without any issues, right? Well, I was told that they only had one question of me. So I'm thinking like, huh, okay, what would that question be? Do you know that the only question that was asked of me was would I consider doing an additional piece to my dissertation about the mental health? Because what we learned in my dissertation was that basically we don't want to seek the help that we need. And so I never thought that that would even be an issue. I never thought that that would even be something that we would be discussing. But that was one of the, the biggest things that came out of it. And I was just like totally amazed. Like, oh, okay, is that all? So I've still not done that yet, but that would be something I would think about doing. Really, soon. I appreciate that. I, I, I really do. I thank you for that. You really have cataloged a lot of things um, in social entrepreneurship, really. Um, I did have an opportunity to actually read your, especially your introduction and your dedication. And so one of the things, tell us what your mom actually said to you. What helped you? Well, mom, I'm sorry. What, what helped you finish? What your mom, what she actually told you? Share. Well, my, mom, my mom was one of those that she didn't, as, as they would say, as the young people would say, she didn't play the radio about her little girl. <laughs> her her baby girl. So she would just share um, so many different things like, look, I want, I'm gonna need you to keep it moving. Keep it moving. Like I, it, I, I shared with you earlier that on her birthday, which, and my birthday was two days later, I, Com completed this dissertation walk, okay? Well, my mom passed on March 19th of 19 with me right by her side. And on the 27th, she was actually buried. Well, on the 28th, I was on a plane headed to California to a conference that was already scheduled to take place on the 31st. My mom would have been so angry with me had I not gone to that conference because it was a doctoral conference for one. My mom was one of those that said, hey, I need you to keep it moving. 
Don't let anything stop you. I need you to keep it moving. So it was like I heard her sitting on my shoulder saying to me, don't stop for me because I'm out of your way. I need you to keep it moving. All right. So, yeah. All right. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. That's that's it. And I want to thank you as well. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here perplexed. We're talking out of. Yeah, I am. I'm sitting here perplexed, uh, Doc, because of um, the marvelous things that you are doing in Birmingham. And um, I'm just going to say thank you for everything that you said. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. You're so kind. You're so kind. Thank you all. So thank you for having me, Regina. Thank you. Well, Regina, no, we go way back and we just from the beginning we connected like crazy and Regina's birthday is actually is it on my mom no 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 it's two days before my mom's birthday yep. yeah yeah it's, it's two days before my mom's birthday so we we've connected at the hip from the time I mean we don't have to talk every day right 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 to stay connected so we, yeah. we just have so much in common it's, it's just amazing. So God is amazing. That's all I can say. I'm going to bring you back I, again. I appreciate you for even allowing me this platform. I do. I feel really, really good about what you're doing. And because so many people need to hear that, you know, business is just not business as usual. Right. You know, how people say common sense is not always common. <laughs> We have to understand that things don't just always go like we feel like they should go because we say that they should. Yeah. And you know, and life teaches us something different. And if if I'm in a position to even share it, I want somebody to benefit from what I've said. So I appreciate the platform I do. Yeah, we thank you for showing up. I appreciate you. Okay. You're welcome. You're welcome.